Before we start, I acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land from which I'm speaking. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. In our daily life, the decisions we make define us and the experiences we have. But decisions are often complex, can involve multiple people, present various outcomes, and call upon judgment and experience. Welcome to the Decision Clinic podcast with me, Paul Gordon, CEO and founder of Catalyze APAC, with almost 20 years experience leading decision-making transformation and author of Hard Decisions Made Easy. Learn how to overcome problems by making great decisions and listen as I sit down with real people to discuss and diagnose real problems. Welcome to the Decision Clinic. Dr. Susan McGinty, I think that's your name. That's what I've read from your decision information sheet you provided. So thank you for that information. And really, I'm interested to hear what troubles you in the world of decision making. And, you know, my intention is over the next 20 minutes or so to help perhaps give you a decision diagnosis that will give you some freedom to to move forward. So let's start, Susan. Perhaps if you can tell me a little bit bit about yourself, one of the things I know as a decision specialist, as a decision doctor, is that context is everything in decision making. So uh, understanding your world a little bit would be very helpful for me. So I'd just love to hear where you're at, what you're up to, and then perhaps what's what ails you in the decision world. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Paul. I've just recently stepped into my own business full time, and it's something that's been growing over the last probably five years or so. My background is in science as a chemist. So I've always been very passionate about science. And I sort of took that love of science into the the defense space where I sort of supported defense on their scientific policies, different approaches they were taking and informing the advice they provide to government. So, you know, that was all a lot of fun. But I really noticed that for women in STEM around me that were working with me and alongside me, there were some real challenges in breaking into the leadership level and a lot of confidence challenges, especially around how they could bring their own authentic leadership style to the environment they were working in. And this sense that they couldn't do that. They were really constrained by, you know, this real masculine paradigm of of STEM. At the same time, I started I started coaching. So I undertook a coaching qualification and that was like a real bullet for me. I was like, wow, this is such a powerful tool to use and really was drawn to applying that to help other people help themselves to solve their problems. So that brought me to sort of um, over the last five years, uh, slowly getting more and more into the space of coaching women in leadership and particularly women in leadership in the STEM space and the security space. So I sort of got a 25-year career in science and and sort of the national security space. So two areas where women are underrepresented in leadership, where there's quite specific male paradigms in leadership and where we really need more women in leadership. Now I work full-time in that space, helping organizations develop their their female leaders emerging and established with their leadership skills. My vision is to be able to look around and see in the STEM space especially, but also in the security space, Mm. 50% gender representation in leadership at all levels of leadership. What a wonderful goal and vision. And one of the things I know as a a decision doctor is that what improves our decision making is diversity of perspective and opinion and representation. And certainly I see plenty of people through my clinic where the thing that's missing is any kind of diversity. There's a lot of homogeneity in decision making and it's the same 
people the same, types of people the same, opinions coming together and no opportunity for really making better decisions. So uh, I can hear how there's a big contribution available there for decision making. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's something that concerns me, that the technological challenges that we face for the future... Even things like climate change, how are we going to develop climate policies and then how are we going to develop the technologies that are going to support those and deliver those climate policies? But in the defence space as well, we have such opportunity for rich diversity and bringing that Mm. to decision making and bringing that into leadership. And we just don't seem to be embracing it at the speed that I think we need to embrace it. So I worry that we actually are missing huge opportunities to impact real life outcomes, not just at a national level, but at a global level as well. Because the situation that I've described for women in STEM leadership representation, it's sort of mirrored across the world. It's not just a problem that Australia has. Yes, I can completely imagine that. As we explore kind of really what you're facing and where decision making can help, my comment at the beginning around context being everything in decision making, I can hear there's a world of context. There's a there's a, a lot of history that has created the world of STEM and the world of defense, shaped the way it is and constrained the way it is. Unless we can deal with that context, then bringing new eyes, new perspectives, and let's say more female um, participation is always going to be much harder without looking at the context from a decision-making point of view. It's, e- it's easy to ignore that and just think we're operating in a vacuum and that's not the case. Absolutely. And, and culture there is a fundamental, I think, thing that's holding back the embracement of, of more women in, in leadership roles. And actually those environments, um, the STEM environment in particular, um, being sort of really supportive of, of women. A lot of women fall out of the, the STEM pipeline at sort of mid-career level, which is such a shame. All that experience and knowledge and expertise and innovation potential just being lost because it's been a really male culture. And you're, you know, you're right, the context and the history is really important to understand. And so we can't change that culture overnight. There's lots of work being done, not just in Australia, but, but other countries as well, to try and you know, address the barriers for women in STEM, which is fantastic. That'll slowly change the culture. But I think there needs to be an additional shift in mindset, which is culturally anchored mm-hmm. around the value that women bring to leadership and decision making. Interesting. And interesting you use that value word because, again, from my lens of decision-making, one of the most important things in decision-making is understanding all of the value that's provided in a decision outcome when you look at a range of alternatives or options. Let's imagine, speculate, when we're looking at a range of people that you might consider to bring forward in certain roles or to engage in certain ways, that it's easy to have a very narrow lens of value and just say, oh, value looks like experience or looks like skills or looks like whatever that lack of consideration of all aspects of value is leads to poorer decision outcomes. So the idea of a conversation around what is the value that people bring, and let's say women specifically in STEM disciplines, for example, what's the value, what are the, all of the dimensions of value that they bring to allow for a decisions that are much more across the board rather than specifically focused on certain dimensions that might not be and often aren't the whole story. There's, there's a, there's, it's a much broader story of value than, than simply have you got the right skills and have you got the experience, especially in that context as well. Yeah. And look, to be honest, um, that's not something that I fully appreciated in depth until I read your book, Paul. I'm glad you read it. <laughs> yeah. I've read your book I've, multiple times. <laughs> yeah. That, that value element needs to be really, as you, as you pointed out, really broadly considered. Sounds like we're in the right conversation, so I'm, I'm glad you found your way to my, my clinic today. So is there something specific that's uh, in your mind around a particular problem or challenge, or is this a more general situation that, that perhaps we can find a diagnosis for that will help give you some freedom? 
In my mind, it's quite specific, but it's actually probably more general, to be honest. The key challenge I'm, I'm feeling at the moment and, and have for, for a little while is how do I help STEM industries understand that value that women can bring to leadership, but also mm. the benefits that they can bring, in the, in, particularly around diversity of thought, which leads to innovation, but also in, in the people sense. With all the sort of STEM organizations and related organizations I've worked with, there's still this really transactional male approach to leading teams, to interacting in the workplace. And, you know, that works uh, mm, to an extent, yep. but really, how can I help those organizations understand that there's a, there's a whole additional layer that can be afforded or provided to, yep. to their leadership depth that they're just not aware of because they haven't experienced it yet? So maybe that's what I can provide some, you know, assistance with in the realm of decision making is, and that sounds like a, that might be a, a useful conversation for us to have right now while you're, while, you know, you're here in the clinic is to explore what are those dimensions of value when we, when we talk about this from the perspective of a decision that someone is making to perhaps broaden their opportunity for female participation in STEM. Maybe, maybe perhaps we could pick a hypothetical example that will give us something specific to kind of help me support you in this, I guess. So perhaps what, what might an example be, and, and, and you know, feel free to be as hypothetical as you like, but a, a particular situation where you might say, what would really work here would be the opportunity for more female participation, yet I don't see that happening. And then we can kind of dig into what could support the decision-making for more female participation. Yeah. So something that I'm, that I'm particularly curious about is I guess, how, how organizations develop their leadership talent, particularly focus on developing female leadership talent, because leaders don't just emerge. And most organizations are suffering uh, retention issues at the moment. They're losing real experience and real expertise. Leadership development for women not only provides you know, a good employee value proposition to, to help retain their staff, but it gives them a, a pipeline of female leaders so that it's not just at the top level that they've got leadership representation with, with gender equality, but all through the organization at all levels. So I wonder how they make a decision about investing in their emerging female leaders right. and developing them as leaders. Great. So let's 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 imagine a hypothetical organization and they're looking forward, they're thinking about their talent development, they're thinking about the future of their organization and making some decisions as to where to invest in, say, leadership development. And the question is, how might their decision making be improved so that to provide a better environment that enables more female participation for greater diversity across their organization? So let's look at that because that, that sounds like I imagine that's quite a common situation. And as you say, the context that you just added to the current context of a lot more mobility, a lot more talent walking out the door. We know that part of the context, of course, is the recent history of the pandemic and people's experience of working in different environments and different ways of engaging and working that have challenged much of the historic context. I suspect that's provided a mindset in the workforce of perhaps greater freedom or greater choice and perhaps more empowerment to make their own decisions. And therefore, organizations are probably grappling with you know, what's our response to that and, and what decisions might we be making to say, well, actually, how do we ensure we retain the right people? And specifically in your, in your case, how do we ensure more women through into leadership, particularly in the kind of STEM realm or the defense realm? A couple of things that occur to me straight away is when we're making decisions, we're often very focused on the short-term outcomes. In a, let's say, leadership development sense, we might be very focused on what are the gaps or what are the, the roles I need to fill 
quickly in the next month, three months coming right in front of me. And often that short-term focus is a bias for us as human beings. We we can't see past the end of that. And often we miss the long-term opportunity because we're so focused on the short-term. So one thing I can already hear in what you're saying is that there's a pipeline you talked about is a, it's a kind of longer term view. So I think firstly, those people in those decision making positions looking at talent development, somehow highlighting the longer term perspective as well as the shorter term perspective. COVID has taught us nothing. It's taught us that we have to have a long-term view as well as an immediate. We need we, we have to trade off both of those and decision-making is all about trade-offs. So I think there's one thing there straight away that a greater visibility of that long-term view. Um, and perhaps I can speculate, and, and this is, is your uh, area, not mine, but I just, just hearing you speak, I can imagine that pipeline also has a, a knock-on effect as well. So the long-term view might not just be the specific leaders that we can develop now, but then what those leaders pull through in terms of female opportunities in follow-through. Is that part of the situation, would you say? Oh, absolutely, Paul. And this is something that I'm really trying to educate organisations on. So there's a lot of effort being put by the government and by lots of organisations in Australia, but elsewhere around the world, on getting more girls into STEM education, which is fantastic. That absolutely has to happen. But also getting more women into STEM careers and looking at ways to manage the workplace situations, policies to be more supportive of women in those workplaces. I think what's potentially not been recognised as much as it needs to be yet is that at the same time, we need to be having more women in leadership roles because they do pull through other women. So research has indicated that when you have women in leadership roles, it encourages more women into leadership roles. So, you know, it's that old adage of what you can't see, you can't be. And, and the flip of that is what you see is it shows that you can aspire to that. We definitely need to be building the pool of women in senior leadership, but we need to be developing the women in sort of, you know, the middle management, but also the emerging leadership roles so that they can then be aspiring to and moving into the senior leadership roles. And then those women in the emerging leaders and those in the sort of middle management levels, they'll be encouraging other women who can see them leading teams, doing amazing things, making decisions, having impact. They'll be encouraging other women in their early career to sort of stay focused and, and inspired to aspire to those roles as well. So you're absolutely right. Efforts really got to be put in at all parts of the pipeline and it will have that impact of pulling more women through. Absolutely. Great. Okay. So that's that's really interesting to understand that. Thank you. So I can hear one place to look, one, one place that if we stand in the shoes of these decision makers looking at their um, leadership and people development decisions, one thing is to create the environment for their decisions that accommodate for that long-term view and articulate all of what long-term looks like, not just long-term as in where does this person going, but also what does that provide in terms of follow-through and, and pull-through. I can hear that as one dimension. What might you say is, and I, and I know this might sound like a, an obvious question, but it's sometimes the obvious is right in front of our face and we don't talk about it. So another thing in, in decision-making is we're not good at getting things explicit. We're, everyone, everyone just knows that. So the question I'm going to ask might sound, sound obvious, but it's interesting for us to actually put it on the table. So what might you consider, if I think about the value that women provide in, in leadership, what might you say is something that's unique about that? compared to, let's say, men or compared to the more the status quo. So what might some of those areas of value that often get unconsidered, but actually are very plain to us? 
Yeah, so look, there's some long-established research that indicates that women's leadership traits and characteristics are much more communal, whereas men's are much more agentic. So what does that mean? That means that men are a bit more transactional, they're quite task-oriented. This is a generalisation, of course. Mm, Yes. They're quite confident in how they speak. Women are much more, they've got the traits that kind of support others, that encourage others into the conversation, that sort of manage conflict. I think one of the things that can be overlooked that women really bring to leadership is this ability to have more developed emotional intelligence, be better communicators, be more empathetic and more supportive. And they can really be quite focused on supporting and and bringing others up so that they're, they're much more team focused and team oriented in general than worried about just succeeding themselves. So they bring that team success, but they develop other people and they're great at mentoring and coaching and they kind of build this, you know, pretty supportive environment for their teams to flourish in. You know, research, some research has indicated that women have a, a 15 to 20 to 25 percent impact over time on product on profitability. Of course, that's been pretty well established. But women bring diversity of thought, right? Just Mm, because they bring different perspectives and different experiences. And so that diversity of thought can lead to innovation, better decision making. Women are often more focused on, you know, the people side of the organization, thinking about the organization as a whole and organizational culture. So they're important. When you're thinking about the longevity of a of a tech company, for Mm, example, you absolutely have to have people who are guns on the technology, and women and men both have those skills. Anecdotally, I've heard from a lot of my clients that that the men kind of live, breathe 24 hours a day, mm. the tech. And certainly there's some research being shown that over a sort of a, a 25-year longitudinal study, high-achieving STEM students, those who became STEM leaders uh, compared to those who didn't, particularly the men who became STEM leaders versus the women who became STEM leaders, they were much more devoted to their careers. They were much more devoted to the science-related hobbies and and interests, whereas women had a, a more diverse set of interests. So we know that in general, from some research, but also anecdotally, you know, men like to, you know, a, a technologist, specialist, you know, they'll be in the tech all day long and then on the weekends as well. The women can find that in those environments really challenging because they feel like they're not keeping up. But they actually bring additional skills and contributions that are more about the team and bringing out the best in others and developing others and and thinking about things differently. I can hear a few things that are interesting. And, and just, just a sort of a side note, you know, one of the things with decision making is what we want to do is provide our way of making decisions that gets us to better outcomes, not necessarily driving for a specific outcome. So I'm, mm. I'm sort of dancing between a clear specific outcome. I can see, let's say, a good thing, which is more women in STEM, more women, women in STEM leadership. That's a good outcome. What we want is a decision way of thinking yeah. where that naturally arises rather than we just turn the tap in one direction or another. We also know decision-making, that doesn't give us decisions that last. What happens is someone starts to say, well, hang on a minute, that was just a, you know, you force a decision in, in a different direction. That's not, so So that's what I'm, un, I'm sort of unpicking here. And yeah. it's great to use the example of specifically what's the sort of uniqueness of value women provide, because then we can say, well, if we say in our choice about leadership, we care about these dimensions of uniqueness of value, then naturally what will merge will be more of that coming forward. Women are, as you say, a natural fit to that. And of course, it may be if we take away the generalization, start thinking about some candidates we have in front of us, then it may well be there are some men with those characteristics and women without those characteristics, and that would still get us to a good outcome. So a couple of things I heard you say, which um, I've just been interested to test. So one thing you talked about was is this more communal way of thinking, bringing others along. So that's sort of a 
when I think about a, a, a dimension of value, that's kind of like leverage. That's a little bit like saying, if this person comes forward to leadership, what we then get is a big effect around them because of their commitment to collaboration, wider engagement from others, the coaching and mentoring side of things. And I think that's also sounds like a dimension that's highly in today's context, something that's really important. A lot of organizations will have seen the value of collaboration and how to drive collaboration and found it harder, I would say, in the virtual environment that's been forced upon us by pandemic. So I would imagine that dimension of sort of leverage would be very valuable to a leader going, I, I need someone that can bring leverage. And that sounds like a natural characteristic. So I, I could hear that. The other one I heard was and this might not be the right way of thinking about it, but sort of an adaptability thing, which is, mm -hmm. as you said, it's one thing to be laser focused on the tech, live and breathe the tech, turn out the best possible tech outcomes. And you need some of that, of course, but also you need something of the adaptability that says, well, tomorrow we're facing something else. And how do we move our way of thinking? And again, probably, and I don't want to over labor the current context that we're in, but of course, I think adaptability has been something that's really, again, come to the fore with teams becoming unavailable or individuals becoming unavailable with COVID issues, et cetera, has had us to go, well, how do we still continue to what we're doing and adaptability, being able to turn your hand to something different sounds like an, another aspect that if I was a decision maker looking for, looking, making decisions on who to bring forward, who to provide leadership development to, I'd want something that says, oh yeah, there's, a, there's an aspect of adaptability here that gives me some greater opportunity for where that person can provide value. So, so I kind of hear at the moment, I'm hearing some specific things. I heard that long-term thing, which I think is important. So a kind of long-term pull through. I heard this sort of leverage idea of how do you have a wider impact from an individual? And I heard something about adaptability. And, and just as three sort of dimensions of value that were I a sort of leader, if I accommodated those, as well as, of course, some of the obvious ones around capability, it's, you know, we, sh we shouldn't pretend that that doesn't matter. So there's some, there's aspects of capability in there. The other thing I wanted to just unpack a little bit is you talk about the research that shows, you know, greater profitability comes from women in leadership. What, what's, do you know what's behind that? Is there anything else that we're missing if I think about, you know, what value looks like? It was a McKinsey report that was done initially in 2015, and they've kind of done additional research, I think 2018, 2020, sort of following on from that. It really comes down to the increased profitability comes from the diversity of thought, the better decision making. So there's probably, and, and this is an interesting one in, in decision making, is how we think about decisions. Sometimes we think about them as one-off. Okay, I'm, I'm, I've got, who am I going to pick now? It's that person. And sometimes we think about them as more what I would call portfolio, a, a suite of things. I've got yeah. these set of things I'm picking between. The idea of diversity, which from the decision science world, no question diversity improves our decision outcomes. And I, I, you know, I can hear you saying the same thing from the point of view of STEM and leadership and so on. Bringing that in as a dimension can be tricky because of course, if you're looking at one person, does that one person bring diversity or do I have diversity across my range of things? So I think that is probably a dimension that would, again, would, would come into that decision making. It just needs dealing with carefully to start to say, well, am I looking at the next 10 people? Am I looking at everyone I've got plus the new ones I'm adding into my leadership development program or whatever to make sure I bring value of diversity? I'd just add, Paul, that the diversity element is is not just gender based. It's you know it's cultural diversity, it's age and experience diversity, and of course diversity elements like disability and different lived experiences. That was popping into my mind as well because it's easy in context to hear the word diversity and immediately jump to one dimension of diversity, let's say gender, and actually 
gender provides for diversity in different ways because of different neurobiology, because of different makeup. And actually, it's those are the diverse things. The diversity of thought is something we want to bring, even if it's found more generally in this, let's say, gender. And certainly, aspects of things like neurodiversity are very also a big part of the mix to what can provide for new thinking, especially when you talk to points like innovation and you know, many organizations looking at the future does can't possibly look like the past and therefore it doesn't work just to continue on this trajectory. So I think that we must always keep making sure when we talk about diversity, we're looking again the spectrum of what that um what that entails for the outcome that diversity provides for us, which is new ways of thinking and looking at problems that we're facing. Our our appointment time's very nearly up, Susan. So <laughs> So I appreciate you bringing this to to me and to my clinic. And perhaps in, in summary, and, and I'm just interested to hear whether I've missed anything, but in summary, I think my diagnosis would be where I having this conversation with, say, a leader in an organization looking at where to bring their next leaders, a particular STEM organization, looking at where to bring their next leaders from and pushing against the context that sort of says, you know, do more of the same. I would be encouraging a decision process that accommodates a spectrum of dimensions of value, as well as the core capability um, side of things, but particularly including a long-term view of value. So what is, what's the five-year view? And incorporated in that should just not only be the individuals, but also what comes with them. So the, the follow-through. I would be talking about the adaptability. So how do we make sure that who we bring forward can be deployed in different ways and could be responsive to this very uncertain and changing world? But looking for people that can really provide leverage, in other words, value beyond them across the organization, particularly concepts like um, greater collaboration and community work or support for others or engaging with and helping others maximize the value that they provide. Uh, and I think I, I, my diagnosis would say that if we can accommodate those in that sort of decision-making, then we're going to provide a much richer environment for women to be able to participate, an environment that pulls through for all those characteristics and provides us a much more diverse organization, better set up for the future. How does that sound? Is that, is that, um, is that helpful? Is that going to provide them some direction and maybe some conversation for you to have with them? So that's really helpful, Paul. Thank you. And it's going to definitely give them some, you know, useful things to think about. And then, you know, they need to decide where they where they want to prioritise that value. Um, but absolutely, that helps me have conversations with them. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Susan. One other a little extra diagnosis I'll give you, I'll write your script up for this as well, is that another one of my decision doctor colleagues, Belinda Newham, she has a specific focus on how to bring women into strategic decision-making situations. So she runs an organisation called Wisdom, and I would certainly encourage your participation in that. Thank you so much. I will definitely get connected with her. Thanks, great. Paul. Thanks, Susan, for coming in. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Decision Clinic podcast with your host, me, Paul Gordon, CEO and founder of Catalyze APAC and author of Hard Decisions Made Easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to click follow for all future episodes. And for additional information and resources, check the show notes or visit me and my team at catalyzeapac.com. I look forward to welcoming you to the Decision Clinic again soon.